All right, Proverbs 15. There's an adage, think before you speak. And somehow that's supposed to help. My problem isn't thinking prior to speaking, it's saying what's on my mind. That's what gets me into trouble. Speaking of saying what's on your mind and getting you into trouble, do you know the thing that is captivating most Americans right now? It's not inflation. Maybe politically it is. It's the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. Yes, the verdict was read this week. And Mr. Depp astonishingly won about $15 million in damages from Ms. Heard. I encourage her to defame me as much as possible. That would be good news for me, apparently. Although that's surely going to be lowered on appeal. And he's supposed to pay her back some $2 million in damages. And then she left the trial. And I guess with the advice of her lawyers, immediately defamed him again. So whatever the outcome of the trial actually ends up being, this is what crossed my mind on Wednesday. I don't think these two are ever going to get together again. I think this is pretty much it for the two of them. Now, I, I wish this was it for both of them, for all people, but it's likely that they will end up with someone else. As one uh, wise man said, they'll make four people unhappy instead of just two. So before they remarry, I've decided to give them some unsolicited marriage counseling. And here it is. This is a pretty simple principle. Are you ready? When you speak hatefully at your spouse, if you defame him or her in public, that's not good for your marriage. I think this is pretty simple to understand. When you say something that hurts someone else, when you say something that is lewd or crude or vulgar, when you say something that is untrue and try to manipulate other people, then you are revealing who you really are. Solomon predicted this kind of behavior in the book of Proverbs. It's an interesting book. It's really a book, in my estimation, that handles the doctrine of anthropology. It's revealing to man who people are. Most of the time, when we look at Scripture, we see God. We see God's estimation of himself. He reveals to us who he is. But when you get to Proverbs, he flips it around a little bit. And what we see is God's estimation of man. We see ourselves as we are. And here we have in this text something about the nature of ourselves. In fact, I think what Solomon is doing is he's comparing God's wisdom to man's and then demonstrating where it's lacking. And one of the places this is most evident is in what we say. The words we use 
demonstrate how much we lack godliness. Well, Proverbs 15 is a very unique chapter in Proverbs because it's a chapter that gives a bunch of Proverbs that seem disconnected and then uh, does it again. In fact, we looked last week at how Proverbs 1 and Proverbs 18 are really dealing with the same ideas. And if you go the first 17 verses, you have these kind of disconnected Proverbs. But beginning in verse 18, we have them uh, repeated in some way, connected again. And so as you kind of look at that, we were, we were noticing the difference between the angry man and the patient man and how the angry man uses certain words and the patient man uses different words. But now we see Proverbs 7 and Proverbs uh, 15, 7 and verse 28 also going together. But now it's not the angry man and the patient man. Now it's the foolish man and the wise man. And what I want us to see is how who we are is revealed in what we say. So let's begin, number one. And this is a pretty devastating point. You are your heart. You are your heart. And the way the Bible describes your heart is you are either foolish or you're wise. Look, look at verse 7 and notice the way it kind of designates this. The lips of the wise. Do you see that? But look at, look at the end of the verse. The heart of the foolish. Look at verse 28. The heart of the righteous. The mouth of the wicked. So you have here two clear ontological categories. You have the foolish or the wicked, and you have the wise and the righteous. Now the wise man, he is depicted as one guided by his religion or ethics. And you see that description at the beginning of verse 7. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge. The wise are people, Solomon writes, who live prudently or skillfully because they're guided by their ethics or religious convictions. In, in the case of a counselor, for example, in the Old Testament, they were called the wise men. Or gifted leaders like Joseph, he was called a skilled man. Skilled craftsmen were men who built the Old Testament tabernacle, Bezalel and Aholiab. And then you have even a negative example of a shrewd man named Jonadab, David's son, Amnon's friend. In all these cases, they were people who were living skillfully. Even in Jonadab's case, he was living unrighteously. So the way Solomon is using this word now in Proverbs is almost always positive, referring to a person who is skillfully living a good and upright, godly kind of life. And you'll see here, because of his wisdom, he is described as righteous in verse 28. Not likely the kind of judicial righteousness that we think of in terms of the doctrine of imputation. You know, as a Christian, you're called a saint because the righteousness of Jesus has been given to you, imputed to you. Or as theologian R.C. Sproul said in the middle of the last century, he thought American Christians should go by the term imputationalists, to which John MacArthur said, they're going to think we're cutting off limbs uh, that may not be the right approach. 
not amputationalist, but you see what he was saying. It might be confusing. This is not the righteousness that Solomon's dealing with. He's dealing with the idea of an ethical goodness. This man, Solomon's describing, acts with justice and integrity in every situation. So, for example, you know, the son breaks an expensive window, dad pulls out his checkbook. Or the insurance lapses, and the next day there's a need for a claim, but he refuses to file and fudge the date because of the lapse. This is a person who acts justly in every situation, even when it brings harm to himself. When I was in the Marine Corps, we talked a lot about integrity. Um, I don't know how much honor Marines actually have. Every time I think about that, it makes me chuckle a little bit. Uh, the Marines are the worst of all the branches of service for all the bad stuff, all the vices. So, uh, they, I mean, the other branches don't even come close. They're so bad. That's why the Marine Corps hymn, uh, when you look on heaven's scene, you find the streets are guarded by United States Marines. No, that's not true. Okay, that's, that's so not true or likely uh, it's laughable. But that being said, they talked a lot about integrity. And I'll tell you where it becomes difficult. You're standing there at boot camp and you've done something wrong and your whole platoon is there. And here's what they'll do. They'll make, they'll make everybody else exercise and you get to stand there and they'll go thank, and they say, say, thank you, Private Walker. And thank you, Private, you know, they're just, you know, that's what would happen. And so then the drill instructor says, okay, who did it? Who scratched? You know, you got sand fleas all over you. Who scratched? And now it's integrity to say it was me. That's this man. He has that kind of justice and integrity in his heart. That's why I think it's really interesting that God calls himself by this term. In Psalm 11, the Lord, the righteous Lord loves righteousness or, or the same idea. Or in Psalm 116.5, gracious is the Lord and righteous. He is morally and ethically good. And this is so different from the foolish man who is guided by selfish concerns. This particular Old Testament word fool is, refers to someone who is, and I'm just going to have to ask you to pardon the expression, but this is what the word means. He's stupid. And it means mentally stupid or dull, thick, uh, or as the way my dad would say of me when I was younger, bullheaded. And it doesn't mean stupid in the sense of having a brain injury or a birth defect. These people are often very intelligent. His folly is in reference to refusal to be guided by God's wisdom. So that Solomon says of him in Proverbs 1.22, he hates knowledge. He doesn't want the knowledge of God. He actually thinks, Proverbs 18.2, that God's knowledge is foolishness. So it's all upside down and backwards. The wisdom of God is folly to him, and the, what is folly to God is wisdom to him. And it's demonstrated in his behavior so that he's constantly into spiritual mischief. Chapter 10, verse 23. He actually likes doing bad things. Chapter 13, and verse 19. He's unpersuadable. 
this person, unless his heart changes by the gospel, continues to do bad things. In fact, I, I love the way Solomon says it. Reproof doesn't even help. You can beat this man's back. He says the whip is for his back, just like for a beast of burden, but it doesn't help. Proverbs 17.10. It doesn't change. And how sad the fool brings shame to others. He's, he brings embarrassment on himself. Chapter 14, verse 24. And even his parents are ashamed of him. And that's given all through Proverbs. I'll give you a couple examples. Chapter 10 and verse 1. His mother is ashamed of him. Chapter 17 and verse 25. God describes these foolish people by a second descriptive term. You see it in verse 28. Look right at the text. How does it describe the foolish? He calls them the wicked. So you have a wise man. He's being guided by God. He's being directed by God. But the foolish man... He's self-directing. He's guiding himself. He's walking down his own path, taking his own choices. And his sinful nature, Proverbs 28, guides him. He thinks it's good. He believes it's right. but he's being led to, down the paths of death. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. The guy's walking down the road to destruction. He doesn't even realize it. And this is what brings judgment on him. Now, my friends, this is how the Bible describes people in two categories, the foolish, the wise, the wicked, the righteous. And whichever you are, letter B, is determined by your heart. Look at verse 7 and 28 again and see if you find parallel phrases. Look for a parallel phrase. Look at verse 7. Do you see the phrase, the heart of the foolish? Do you see a parallel phrase in verse 28? You've got the heart of the foolish in verse 7. What do you have in verse 28? The heart of the righteous. This heart is your innermost being. It's what makes you, you. It's where your intellect and your emotions, like two giant rivers, finally intersect. It becomes then the seat of your will. So that in your heart of hearts, in the very place where you are really you, now that's who you are. Because that's how you think and that's how you feel. This is who you are. I, I love this example. Turn over to Luke, Luke 15 for just a moment. You're going to see this in the story of the prodigal. The parable is the parable of the lost things. You have the lost sheep, shepherd goes out to find it. You got the lost coin, the woman sweeps her house, finds the coin. You got the lost son. Of course, the father doesn't know where he is, so he can't go find him but he goes out every day and looks down the road to see if the sons come back. Now in this story, we're going to find the son and we see an incredible change. Look what he says in verse 12. Luke 15, look at verse 12. The younger of them said to his father, this is what he says, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now is that a wise choice or a foolish choice? 
That's a foolish choice. He has a foolish heart. This is the way Solomon would describe this young man. He has a foolish heart. He has a wicked heart. But it's really interesting because you get to verse 18. Now you see this young man saying something else. And what does he say in verse 18? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him. So the last words the father heard from this young man's mouth was, give me my money and I'm leaving. Last words. The very next words he hears from this young man is this. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. Now, is that a foolish heart or a wise heart? He's turned. He's different. He now is actually demonstrating a wise heart. This is who he is. At the beginning of this story, he is a foolish, wicked young man. At the end of this story, he's the example that Jesus gives of someone coming to salvation. And when you see that, now notice, Solomon reflects, you can be either of these. You can have the heart of the foolish, or you can have the heart of the righteous. But it's your heart that's revealing who you are. And I think, I really believe this, this, what Solomon is saying is there are two powerful forces being uh, that is playing on man's heart to direct him. Or as my old teacher, Dr. Stevenson, said in his book on Proverbs, this here is wisdom's starting point. If you have the heart of the wise, then you have a requisite fear of God. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Everything kind of begins here. So I have a heart influenced by the knowledge of God, but I have a heart influenced by evil. There's a book, Valley of Vision. It's a book of prayers. And there's a prayer in there that every time I read through that book, and I get to that prayer, it's, it's so convicting because the prayer says something like this, Lord, help me remember that I, that I go out into an evil world and I carry with me an evil heart. This is who we are. It's built in, born in. Genesis 6, we have an evil heart. Genesis 8, we have an evil heart. That story of Noah. You see it in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked means it cannot be cured. It's incurable. It's sick to the point of desperation. Only God can fix this. And so here we are and we're looking at God's word and we're seeing ourselves and we realize my heart is who I am. And, and while I am a believer and I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me, I still have a sin nature that really wants to do evil. And so this is who I am. And I go out into the world and these two forces are pulling me in opposite directions. So which one's winning in your heart? Well, I can tell you the answer. Because... You are your heart, but your words reveal what's there. 
It's your words that betray you. He says here, the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. You see, number two, what's in your heart is what forms your words. If I am my heart, and I've got these two powerful forces pulling me in either direction, if I am my heart, then then what's in my heart, that's what makes my words. That's what puts them together. The self-guided fool's mouth gushes badness. He speaks bad things out of his mouth. The badness of his heart constructs the badness of his words. And it can't be any other way. This is why, from unbelievers, what kind of words should you expect them to use? And I would say, unbelieving words. This is what I would expect them to use. I would not expect them to talk about the faithfulness of God, the righteousness of God, the justice of God in damning sinners to hell. I would not expect that. That Someone said, movies are 20th century novels. Well, you watch a movie, you watch a television program or something that's now on the internet, and as you watch that, what you're seeing is the hearts of the writers being lived out in the words of the actors. And as you watch that, if these are believers, you expect them to respond in a certain way. If they are unbelievers, we should expect them to respond in a certain way. And the self-guided fool, remember, God guides the righteous and the wise, but the fool, he's self-guided. He's going his own way. That man's fool, it gushes badness. That's what it says in verse 28. It pours out, ra is the Hebrew word. It means evil. In fact, evil things, it's just kind of, the word things is kind of added there. It's just evil. It's the way the Hebrew is written. It just pours out evil. And so the badness of his heart constructs the badness of his words. And this, and this Old Testament idea of badness and evil, it, it's negative. It means unpleasant things and unkind things and injurious things and wicked things. This is what comes out of the mouth of an unbeliever. It's what sometimes comes out of the mouth of a believer who's not being guided by God or walking in the Spirit. So whatever is negative in the heart now has free reign to control what comes out of the mouth. And I love the fact that Solomon says, and there's no holding it back, it gushes, it pours out. I like the word gush. It's almost onomatopoeia, isn't it? It almost sounds like what it, what it says. It gushes. That's a good word. The idea is a something that's unrestrained. It's a flowing river. It just cannot be held back. It's flowing. Do you know another way this word can be used? And again, parents, I'm sorry, but this, this is, it's, it's like a belch. It's like a burp. I had a friend in college who, who could burp the Pledge of Allegiance all the way through to the very end. Now, that's, that's a skill that will get you into any carnival. I mean, uh, that's something, it's like the bearded lady. That's what you want to go see, right? Or, you know, all the different things that Ripley... Uh, had in his carnival, uh, the Ringling Brothers. He, he, this guy could burp. He was an amazing burper. Uh, he burped. And sometimes you understand, you get a belch and you can't hold it back and you cover your mouth and you, you try to 
to, you know, be polite around people, but you just can't hold it back. Have you ever had it where it embarrassed you? You were just talking along and then, bah! have you ever had that happen? I think nearly everybody has. And everybody kind of laughs. It's kind of like you're laughing now. Everybody laughs. That's what this is. You see, if you're cultivating evil in your heart, even as a believer, you're cultivating this evil, eventually, bah, it's going to come out. And, and it's not funny. Because now what comes out is a, an unkind word. And what comes out is something bitter against God. What, what comes out, and you didn't even realize maybe at the moment you said it that it was there, it is some sort of insult or invective. And now it's out there. And what do we immediately say? Well, that's not how I feel. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. That's just not how you want other people to think you feel. But that is how you feel. Now, I've had times where I've said the wrong word, and I have to go, I didn't mean that word. I see now that that word could be misconstrued. I wasn't trying to say that. That happens. But I'm talking about when you know in your heart you just revealed yourself. It's embarrassing. And today we like to say, well, that's not who I am as a person. No, it is who you are as a person. Because now your heart is on display. Because you are your heart. And your words, they're formed by what's down in there. What did Jesus say? Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart. And so this wicked man... He pours out evil. I, I am so dismayed that people who claim to be followers of Jesus today use profane, the most profane words that humanity has invented. They now use those profane words to others. Or even... They take God's name as an oath. And it doesn't help to write it as an acronym, OMG. That doesn't make it better. If you're somebody who is a believer, who you say, I believe God created all these things. I believe he's going to judge us. And I believe Jesus actually gave his life to save me from sin. But I so think little of my God that I will denigrate him by using his name as an oath? Well, that's what's in your heart. And I read it on social media. I, I had a guy call me on the phone a few weeks back and tell me, he spent 40 minutes telling me how awful one person was and how great he is. You can trust me, I'm a good man. I'm a man of character. Well, I'm glad you're a man of character. You don't have to say, oh my God, every three minutes. That's not godliness. That's evil. And out of the heart comes the evil. And it comes out of your mouth, out of your words. And the right response when you say words that are evil is not to say, that's not what I meant, or, or uh, that's not who I am. It's to say, I'm sorry, I'm wicked. I, I do this sometimes. 
And if the person knows their own heart, they'll say, it's okay, I forgive you. It's who I am too sometimes. I can't imagine what began Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. These are unbelievers, clearly. What began them down their life of separation. They married. At some point, they thought we should be together on some level. We should, and God loves marriage. And, and, and let me tell you, when they married, God loved their marriage. They were married. That's what God wants. And, and, in, and in some sense, even as unbelievers, God wanted them to stay married. But at some point, they began speaking to each other in ways that were hurtful and bitter and unforgiving and angry to the point now where they just defame each other publicly, try to destroy each other's reputation and character. And the whole world watches. The self-guided fool's mouth gushes badness. Do you realize, friends, the contrast, the God-guided wise man's mouth? How does he speak? Deliberately good words. You see verse 28 again. Look, look at the, what it says. The heart of the righteous studies to answer. Wise people think before speaking. But it's not thinking in the sense of how can I form just the right word to really hurt this person. <laughs> no, not that kind of thing. He's musing over what he should say in light of God and his word. So he's slow to speak. He's slow to wrath. That's how James puts it. He's actually thinking about God and his word. And even though he's in crisis mode, that often brings out the worst in us. Even though he's in crisis mode, he's musing over his words not impulsively speaking, meditatively speaking. I tell people all the time, they'll say, Pastor, I want to come see in your office. I've said this to you before. And I'll say, great, what's it about? Uh, I'd like to tell you when I get there. Then my response to that is now, all the time, this is my, I've had this for many years, my response is, that's wonderful, but I will not be able to talk back to you. All I can do is listen. Because what sometimes happens, people try that gotcha moment. They're going to spring it on you. And what are you going to get? You spring it on me. What are you going to get from me? I'm a sinner. What do you think you're going to get from me? If I answer impulsively without really taking time to pray over it, you're going to get carnal, Matt. And that's not good, Matt. You don't want that kind. That's bad, pastor. Not good, pastor. So I have to say, I, I, can't, I can't answer you. I'll just be able to listen. I'll take down information. And we can talk later. Well, that's not what they're looking for. And every time since I made this decision, do you know, every time I've done this, the person says, don't worry about it, because we don't need to meet. It just kind of ends, well, I thought it was important. No, it's all right. Okay. But if you actually meditate, I, I need to take time to think about this. Do, do you realize, husbands and wives, when you're in a fight with each other, I'm sorry, a discussion, when you're having a discussion with each other, do you, do you know what almost all of the problems surrounds? Is that you're responding to each other almost immediately. I mean, at least that's the way it happens in our house. And we are very fast responders. We're like first responders. You know, we're there. There's a marital fire, and we're there to put it out. And the problem is, is that she's burning. 
you know. And she's thinking the same thing. No, no, you're burning. We're shooting each other with words of, well, it's adding fuel to the fire most of the time. It's interesting, by the way, if you link these, this statement with the other poetical statements about meditation, this is a part of the poem section of the Old Testament. Think about Psalm 1. What does the wise man do? What does the blessed man do? He meditates on God's words. He actually thinks about God's words. If you're meditating day and night on God's words, what's going to come out of your mouth? God's words. It's, it's really interesting because the one influences the other. The knowledge of God guiding the formation of words. He's not being influenced by his own feelings or emotions or reactions because those are basically sinful. He's being guided by the Lord's words and emotions and reactions. And those are godly. So the result is wise counsel. It's actually good. This man, it says here, look at verse 7. What does it say? Beginning of the verse. The lips of the wise, what does it do? It spreads. It disperses knowledge. The knowledge of God, that which brings wisdom, the fear of the Lord, is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. It's that knowledge of God that, that begins in the fear of the Lord is now being dispersed to other people. So he's spreading God's wisdom. That's what's valuable these are the words you need to hear from each other. These are the words that you can trust when people say them. That's why faithful can be the wounds of a friend. He wounds you with his words, but it's the good kind of wound because they're righteous words, meditative words, godly words. It's valuable. This guy spreading his wisdom to others is valuable. It's communicable. So as I'm receiving those words, you know what I can do? I can share them to others. It's the same process as gossip, right? You know, gossip works. You get a piece of juicy information about somebody else that you just have to share in the form of a prayer request because we are Christians here. Please pray for sister so-and-so. You know what I'm saying. And then we gossip, right? And that's the process, and then that person now the lips of the gossip, the spreads gossip, right? I mean, that's basically what the verse could say. So now she's dispersing, or he's dis I didn't mean she as in the women first. I'm just saying any, any person. That isn't how I feel. <laughs> see, see, this is the big hole I'm now standing in. No, the truth is, men are just as bad as women in this, right? But we, sh we share this news about others. And, and then that person shares that news with others, often saying, and don't tell anybody, which is code for tell as many people as you can. This is exactly how this works. But I'm not spreading gossip anymore. What am I spreading? The good, godly words that helps and benefits people, that brings them closer to Christ, that helps them in their Christian walk. He spreads those words. He shares those words with others. And, and you see then, others, those are the words they need to hear, and those are the words they need to trust. So it's valuable and communicable. I am spreading the good seed of godly words. 
that will take root and plant in your heart and grow up godliness out of your life. This is what begins people down the path toward wisdom. A godly man with his words turns someone to God. Always. Not away from God. Not to more self-guided folly. He turns a man's heart to God. His words say, you trust him. Her words, the wise woman, she says, you fear him. Let me tell you something. All of you who are older ladies. And I don't, let's just get past the whole older joke. Because that's going to waste time, okay? You're, you're older, you're older. I'm sorry, you're old, okay? You're old. And you're getting older every day. And someday you'll be elderly and then you'll die, all right? We're past it now. You older ladies, you are commanded in Scripture to teach the younger ladies. That actually isn't my job. I'm actually told not to teach them. The older ladies teach them. I'm to teach you. You teach them. That demands you to take wise words and say to them, trust in God, fear in God, hope in God. You're to teach them to love their husbands, to love their children. You're to teach them how to guide that house. And you're obligated to do this. You're, you're not just living out your days in some sort of semi-retirement, enjoying what time you have with your spouse. And then if your spouse goes to be with God, then you're just doing whatever you're doing. Okay, that's not your life. Your life now is about serving God by investing yourself in those younger ladies. And let me tell you something, older men, you're to do the same thing with the younger men. That, that's what you're supposed to do. And it's your words to do it. I preached in the first church I ever pastored in. I was an assistant pastor. <laughs> we had this little girl. Her, her grandmother was our secretary, Mrs. Stoner. I'm sure she's with the Lord now. Was just, she was such a sweet lady, Mrs. Stoner. And her granddaughter came up to her one day in church because she realized that Mrs. Stoner talked to me and knew me. And she said, Mrs. Stoner, you know that important man. She was wowed by my importance. I, let me tell you, I had no importance. I was the least important person there. I didn't even know the happy birthday song. Not the way they sang it anyway. Central Pennsylvania, you know. But, but I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that dismayed me, the pastor said, why don't you come on this trip to Sight and Sound with the senior saints of the church? We went. We went to, it was a really incredible show there around the Lancaster area of Pennsylvania. This, it was uh, an Easter program. And then we all went out to eat. We're at an Amish country kitchen type place. It's fried chicken and mashed potatoes. And between sweets and fats and carbs, you're, it, yeah, everybody's just really unhealthy when they left. You know, and, and their body's inflamed and all that inflammation. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sitting there. My wife and I, we've only been married three years, two years. And those old people are telling dirty jokes, dirty jokes. And I'm looking at her and she's looking at me and I'm thinking, what did we get into? I preached one Sunday in that church. And as I got into the lobby, a lady took an illustration I gave. An illustration, it was just a generic illustration. And she turned it into something incredibly dirty. 
And she was laughing and had to stop me in the hall just to tell me. Not this is what God taught me from your sermon. This is the dirty thought I had come across my mind. And I looked at her and I said, thank you for sharing that with me. Now, you've taught me something. Uh, you'll never talk to the teens ever. You just need to stay away from them completely. Thank you. You know, now, I was only youth pastor there for 18 months. And you can see why. You know, <laughs> I wasn't winning friends and influencing people, but I can tell you this. I learned something about that lady because what was in her heart came out. You, you must teach each other and the older mature saints must teach the younger saints to trust in God and to fear God and to hope in God and to encourage people to spiritual things, not away from spiritual things. Your heart as it's tuned to godliness, it should be retuning the hearts of those around you to godliness. And it doesn't mean you can't joke around about things. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying be dour all the time. That's how some people have reacted to this kind of thing. That's not what I'm saying. Have a great sense of humor. I love humor, you know that, but I am saying to you this, that if your humor is wicked, there's something wrong with it. Do the right thing. Think the right thoughts. That's what your words should be teaching people. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. Even the godliest of people can fail in this area. I was thinking about all the people who spoke rashly. Joshua and the Gibeonites. He was rash in his promise of protection. How about Peter rebuking Jesus? He's, he's going to go down as the only believer in history who rebuked Jesus. I mean, forever, all time. Because we have no other example of any believer rebuking Jesus. And Jesus has been gone, so you, I mean, I guess you could rebuke him in your heart, but who would do that now? That'd be weird. So poor Peter, he's left out there the only one in the entire Christendom who will have rebuked Jesus because he's so rash with his words. Or you can let the meditation of your heart be acceptable to the Lord by speaking righteous words to others. The lips of the wise disperse. It spreads that good, sweet, godly counsel that comes from here. Let's pray. Lord, this is what we need. I, I need this so desperately. I tremble at the thought of every careless word being judged. And the answer is not to take a vow of silence. The answer is to let you guide the heart. So, Lord, we need you to guide our hearts. Because that's who we really are. And that's what we'll really say. Before I finish praying, you're here and you say, you know what, Pastor, the last two Sundays you've been preaching on the tongue, and, and now I am thinking. This is something about me that really needs to change. It must change. Maybe between last week and this week, you made, and you know, you just failed in a lot of different ways. But right now, I want you to take one step toward the right. Just move in that direction.
If you're here and you say, Pastor, I need God to control my words. First, by controlling my heart, but I need God to control my words. If that's where you're at, and that's the prayer that you want answered from the Lord, would you let me pray for you? Would you just slip up your hand? And my hand's up too, by the way. I need this so bad. Praise God. Yes, put them down. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me? Yes, I'll pray for you. Lord Jesus, it takes humility, real humility, to ask for help. And so I need to humble myself to ask for help. I need your help. We need to be a church that speaks the right kinds of words. You know, this is what the community wants, Lord. Unbelievers would be wowed by a church where people said only gracious things. It's, in, it's, it's magnetic. To be like Jesus, this my song in the home and in the throng, to be like him all day long. Help us to speak words that are wise. And I pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. The pianist will play a hymn of invitation. Just go to the Lord right where you are and ask him, if this is what you want, ask him to help you with your words.